Welcome to another edition of The Word of God with Father Reed Henserling at All Saints Episcopal Church in Lakeland, Florida. Today we're going to look at Proper 27, and we've got several texts that we want to review. We are going to be looking at the book of Joel. So we're back to the minor prophets, the book of Joel. Joel. Now remember, there are major prophets, prophets and minor prophets. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And the minor prophets, there are 12, from Hosea to Malachi. And the last 12 books of the Old Testament are Hosea to Malachi. All right, And most of them are pretty short. And that's how we differentiate between the major and the minor prophets is, is in the length of the text, although Hosea is a little bit longer than Daniel. The second reading will be from the book of Revelation. The second major book that we'll be looking at is Revelation 18 and 19. And then we're going to begin with James. So we're going to be working off of James. Beautiful book, five chapters, this week and next week. And then the book of Luke, Luke 14, 15, and 16. So we continue our journey through the Gospels, 14, 15, and 16, through Revelation and James, and through Joel. Okay, so let's find Joel in the Old Testament. Now, Hosea being the first book, Hosea and Joel being the second. Now, Hosea... uh, uh, Hosea is a wonderful book that we have looked at, and now we're back to Joel. And Joel is a total of three chapters, and those three chapters will be covered from Monday through Saturday. And we are prepared for the coming of the Lord. We are prepared for the word of the Lord. We are prepared for the wrath of the Lord. We are preparing for the day of the Lord. We are preparing for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Uh, Joel chapter 2, we find that Peter is the one that told us about this great scripture in Acts chapter 2 with the coming of Pentecost, about what the Lord was doing, and he quotes Joel. It's a very, very, very famous uh, verse, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. But we begin with Joel. Now, the nice thing about books like Joel, they're short. You can read them fairly quickly and fairly easily. And again, you just let those words sink into your soul, into your mind, into your heart, and you digest them and let them cover your soul and your mind. The reading is different, as you know, from the New Testament, the epistles, apocalypse, and from the gospels. So the word of the Lord comes to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all the inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell your children, and their children to another generation. So we have the invasion of locusts, the cutting locust, and the swarming locust. And the swarming locusts left, and the hopping locusts left, and the destroying locusts is eaten. And we see this destruction across the land. Okay? And we see a call to repentance. So there's destruction that's coming. The people have wronged God, and they are going to now repent. 
consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, cry out to the Lord. The day of the Lord is near, and as destruction for the Almighty it comes. Okay? To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, verse 20 of chapter 1. Fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. So there's something ominous happening here. And so they, chapter 2, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. The day of the Lord is coming. It is near. So the day of the Lord is a very serious day in biblical um, history, in biblical language, in the Bible. All right? And what you want to do is you want to be prepared for the day of the Lord when the day of the Lord comes. Verse 10 of chapter 2. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army. His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And then, yet even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether or not he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind them, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a fast, verse 15. So, we're dealing with with a God who wants to save, a God who wants to forgive. He wants to relent on the coming of the day of the Lord. He doesn't want to execute his wrath. And so when you have a situation where people repent, great things can happen. Now, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the famous text that I referred to earlier is in Joel chapter 2, 28 following. Very famous. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And there is the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There is the coming of the Lord. Okay? The wonders in heaven. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Then... In chapter 3, as we close out the week and close out this book, proclaim among the nations, consecrate for war, 3.9. Stir up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, he says in verse 20. So God's always about restoration. All And Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. And so we see this wonderful thing that the Lord is doing, that the Lord is blessing us with, the Lord is providing us with, that the Lord 
calls us to repent, and in our repentance, we are restored to him. But if we do not repent, there is judgment. So the Old Testament prophets prefigure those prophetic words in the New Testament and prepare for the coming of Jesus in his prophetic ministry also. So enjoy the book of Joel Joel this week. God bless you. All right, back to Revelation. Just a couple of uh, chapters in Revelation. Revelation goes to the 22nd chapter, and we're only going through uh, chapter 19. Revelation being the last book of the Bible. Chapter 18, the fall of Babylon. The fall of Babylon. Now, remember, Babylon was a very powerful country uh, in the time of the Old Testament. And it was the country that destroyed uh, Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and carried them off into captivity. And so he has some very strong words to say about fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt from every unclean bird, a haunt from every unclean and detestable beast. Okay? And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So he remembers the work of Babylon. All right? And so we have this very, very long text, 15 to 24, and talks about, uh, and then he goes into chapter 19. So we have some really, some bad news in chapter 18, but some great news in chapter 19. When we have salvation, I love this verse in chapter 19, verse 1. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are just and true. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cry out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And then we have the great marriage supper of the Lamb, starting in verse 6. And the power of the Lord God and the power of the Lamb. Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, verse 9. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then we have the very famous, which I love immensely, the rider on a white horse, sitting on it, faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes, this is verse 12 of 19, are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so he talks about the coming king, he talks about the Lamb, he talks about the Lord God. Okay? And the power of Jesus and the power of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we saw this image in John chapter 1. We see it again in Revelation 19. And we see the power of this extraordinary person, the Lamb of God, the true words of God, the one that's robe is dipped in blood. On his robe and on his thigh, verse 16, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, we go but now to James, who is, we think, is the half-brother of Jesus. 
And he has some wonderful words in James 1 and 2. And we pick up with chapter 2 next week. Um, But in chapter 1, what I love about James is very much like the Proverbs. There's lots of good um, prophetic language. There's lots of good wisdom there. There's lots of good uh, information there. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is coming from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation of change, of shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So he talks about hearing the word of God, slow to uh, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we have these wonderful little pericopes, little short sayings, a couple of sentences long. If anyone thinks he's religious and he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religious is worthless. And then, of course, in chapter 2, on Saturday, verses 1 to 13, we have the whole idea of helping others and helping the poor and, and the whole idea about faith and works. What good is it, brothers, verse 14, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of them says, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. So there's this wonderful interplay between faith and works, between the faith that we have in Christ and the works that we demonstrate or that demonstrate our love of Christ and our faithfulness with Christ and the fact that we are devoted with Christ and the fact that we love Christ. So again, look at James 1 and 2. Very beautiful, simple scriptures. Very easy to understand. Not Certainly not as veiled as Revelation is. So you'll enjoy the transition from Revelation to James. And we'll look at James again next week. Luke chapter 14, back to the gospel reading. Luke chapter 14 and chapter 15 and chapter 16. In chapter 14, we begin with the 12th verse. And this is the parable of the great banquet in terms of who we invite to the banquet. And God's inviting us to this fantastic banquet. It's a banquet we should go to. It's a banquet that's important. It's a banquet where Jesus is present. It's a banquet where our needs are filled. It's a banquet where the Lord is fully blessed, where the Lord is willing to share his abundance with us. Come to the banquet and enjoy all the things that God has for you. Then he has the cost of discipleship. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 1426. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 26. 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Okay. 
So count the cost, people. Be prepared. Think about what you're doing. Be prepared to do the right thing. Be prepared to do what God tells you to do. Be prepared to listen to the Lord and obey. Be prepared, perhaps, to do something you don't want to do. Be prepared to follow Jesus even when you don't want to. Now, in chapter 15, we have the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm not going to go over that with you other than to say that parable is on a Thursday. And, of course, it's fabulous and you could never exhaust the parable of the prodigal son. It is an extraordinary lesson. It's very powerful and it's uh, something that we could practice all the days of our lives. Finally, we're looking at the first half of 16, the parable of the dishonest manager, which is one of the strangest parables in the Bible. And then secondly, the parable of the dishonest manager is, is difficult. Look at that, read that closely. But he's talking about faithfulness and responsibility, being faithful in what you have. If you then have not been faithful, verse 11, in the unrighteous wealth, will you who will entrust you to true, true riches? Why should God bless you with true riches if you can't be faithful in what he's given you? So we, all, we always want to be cognizant and aware of being faithful to the Lord. No, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. In the law and the kingdom of God, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is abomination in the sight of God. So he's talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay? And so we go to verse 18, which is really challenging. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So be very, very, very careful, people. And, of course, we could say a lot about divorce and remarriage. Again, as you read through the scriptures on a daily basis, there's much to think about from the book of Joel, from the book of Revelation, from the book of James, and from the book of Luke. All have a different angle, a different um, learning, a different um, teaching for us. All are important. This is why I love reading the lectionary on a daily basis, is you get something that's different and you hear it from a different perspective, and you hear it from a prophetic perspective or a historical perspective or a wisdom perspective or an epistle perspective, James, Peter, Jude, John, or Paul, of course, and then a different gospel, and we have four. So may the Lord bless you abundantly as you continue to read and study his holy word. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and see you next time. 